0: Perhaps it makes the most sense for us to consider a kind of theme after we've kind of looked through the content of some of these sections. The uh, last thing that we looked at was the leper coming to Jesus and disobeying him even with good motives. And we we see a lesson in that in terms of the greatness and authority of Jesus and how he ought to be obeyed regardless of our intentions. He knows better than what we do. <laughs> Um, so, chapter 2, uh, it'd be helpful if we could kind of visualize this story as we go. Would somebody read 1 to 12?
1: When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this.
0: What? Right. So where's Jesus?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Capernaum in a home. And uh, who else is there?
2: Many.
0: Yeah, Everybody. How many?
2: <laughs> standing
0: room only. yeah standing room only inside the house and uh, even people crowded around near the door I suppose trying to hear or get a glimpse of him or whatever uh, the crowd is uh, you know outnumbered the, uh, the house where he was and uh, you know there were times in Jesus ministry at least where he was popular a lot of people wanted to hear him and see him and this was one of those times and uh, in the middle of this, along come five more men. right? Who are these five? <clears throat> One
2: and four friends
0: Yeah. One paralyzed guy on a stretcher and four guys carrying him. And their intention, when they came up to Capernaum or up to this house, their intention was to do what?
1: Jesus and to get the guy healed. Exactly.
0: They intended to get this paralyzed guy in front of Jesus, I think, with intentions of getting him healed. However, that crowd all around, in the house and around the house and so forth is a major obstacle to doing that. I mean, you're going to have to clear out a pretty good space if you're going to carry a guy in a stretcher (laughs) in the house and there's no space, you know, available. (laughs) If you were a little wiry, agile guy, maybe you could wriggle your way through the crowd. There's just no way to get this guy in the door. <laughs> and so, while they had wanted to come and see Jesus, they couldn't, and they turned around and went back home. Uh-oh. No? Well, what happened? They dug a hole
1: in the roof.
0: anybody's roof? <laughs> not
1: since I gave up my woodpecker
0: license. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would anybody dig a hole in a roof? Desperate. Desperate for what? Uh,
3: I'm guessing to be
0: healed. Yeah. They really wanted to see Jesus. In fact, there's one word that I like to describe these guys. It's not a word in the text. But, but what would you say is the best word to describe these five men. They are? Driven. Driven's a good one. Dedicated. Dedicated's a good one. Persistent. Persistent. Yeah, I got a better one. (laughs) Determined. Determined. Uh, They are determined. Isn't that a good word? I mean, they're going to see Jesus if they have to take the roof off. Whatever it takes. Now, I mean, what would possess people like this to be that determined that they'd be willing to unroof the roof?
2: <laughs> what they've seen already. Or heard that Jesus can
0: do. If you were the guy paralyzed and you knew the guy in there could heal you if you could just get to him would you be willing to get the roof taken off? I mean, I think you don't know, want you to stop and think about their situation and I mean, Jesus has been healing people. And he had not lost a case yet. <laughs> you know, being paralyzed is no picnic. I've got a, a friend who just died, just very recently. Uh, about 10 years after his wreck, when he was 18, fell asleep at the wheel. Hit something, and uh, paralyzed from here down. Wow. He had a full golf scholarship to a very good private college. And, uh, you know, it really stinks. I mean, you can't do anything for yourself. He did remarkably well with our technology. He had a mouthpiece. He could do anything on computer with that mouthpiece. He could operate his wheelchair with the mouthpiece. But, you know, he couldn't feed himself. Couldn't bathe himself. He couldn't, you know, there's so much he couldn't do. If you were paralyzed, that guy in there could heal you. They took off the roof. Can you imagine the scene on the inside of the house? <laughs> you know, I I don't know exactly even what the roof was made out of, but I'm envisioning maybe thatch and mud and things like that. I don't know. So I'm imagining as they start digging you know, little clods start coming down on people's heads, and suddenly they see a light up above them. And and I suppose they got ropes, and this guy starts coming down, everybody's backing away, and, you know, all that. That would create quite a commotion. And I wonder where the owner of the house might have been at that time. Uh, These people are doing some things that are uh, controversial, to say the least, but they are determined to see Jesus. Or at least to get their buddy to Jesus. What does Jesus do when he first sees the man? What does he say? He
2: sees
0: their faith. Yeah, and what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. And yes. all his friends oh, nuts. <laughs> yeah, really? I mean, why doesn't Jesus deal first with what the man really needed? Yeah.
1: did.
0: <laughs> yeah I think so I doubt that the man realized that but the truth is no matter how bad off we are physically our biggest need and our biggest problem is our sins Jesus really does deal with his biggest problem first and there's uh, so a lot of things that you can think about as you go through this story um, and we, we theoretically understand that Jesus is able to bless us in incredible ways even forgiving our sins and I think although the things being equal we'd all like to be with Jesus but you know what the devil always does the moment somebody decides he wants to be with Jesus he puts up roadblocks and barriers (coughs) like this crowd lot of times I've studied with people and at first they're so excited I've always wanted to learn the Bible and I've always wanted to be a follower of Jesus and then over the course of a few weeks I've had a lot of people tell me you know I really want to do this but it's just not going to work you know I'm learning some things I don't want to hear or you know some things have come up you know it's just and, and there's a barrier there's there's some kind of an obstacle that keeps them from doing it and the only people who really end up coming to jesus are the people who are as determined as these guys are they're willing to come to jesus even if they have to take the roof off you know how how much de- de- determination do we have to come to jesus how badly do we think we need him and are we willing to do things that are difficult that are dangerous that are even controversial to come to Jesus I'll pause do you have comments and questions on those first five verses
2: if he had I mean, if he healed him physically first he probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so or at least no one would have known it couldn't, couldn't have made the point
0: I agree. Once you see how the whole story fits together, you see Jesus followed a very logical and precise course in this. I think you're right. I think Jesus is trying to uh, make some further points, and it works much better to do that, forgiving his sins first. Other comments? So what do the scribes think?
4: blasphemous why would they think that
0: yes here's a guy who's claiming he's forgiving this man's sins but we all know only God can forgive sins. so he's claiming to do something that only God can do he's blaspheming what do you think about that are are they right can only God forgive sins We've got a couple of very tentative yeses. Can only God forgive sins? Yes. So was Jesus blasphemous? Well, why not? Yeah, they never thought about that possibility. <laughs> <laughs> if he were a mere man, they'd be right. He wouldn't be blaspheming because man does not have the power to grant divine forgiveness. But Jesus was not a mere man. And he proved it. <laughs> because in this text Jesus does other things that only God could do also like what?
4: knowing
0: their hearts yeah reading their minds uh, is something only God can do that ought to show them something right there he says why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts well how did he know what they were reasoning in their hearts if he wasn't uh, God who could forgive sins as well And then he asks a really good question, one we might answer the wrong way if we're not careful. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? Now, you have to think that one through a little bit. Um, Let's say you're a man. You don't have the power to do either one, forgive sins or heal a paralyzed person. Which would be easier for you maybe to palm yourself off as? A forgiver or a healer? forgiver.
4: forgiver. Why? Because there's no external evidence one way
0: or the other. Yes, you can't see it. If I say I can heal paralyzed people, what are you going to say?
4: Come here, yeah.
0: (laughs) So we'll just test this one out right now. You prove it. So Jesus proves his ability to do what they could not see and verify by doing what they could see and verify. That's exactly what he says. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. That shows in a way they could observe that Jesus can heal the unseen spiritual diseases as well. And so Jesus says, I want you to carry the stretcher that once carried you. And he does. And they're amazed. Comments and questions? They saw
2: their faith, which is miraculous. He healed he his sins and healed them. Uh, his paralysis and read their minds.
0: And the only thing is, I don't think seeing their faith was miraculous. So everyone could
2: have seen that.
0: Yes, I think they all saw their faith. How did they see their faith? Yeah, what they did showed their faith. That's a case of where you know the fruits are the evidence, kind of James two. You know, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. You you see what they did, obviously they had faith. So I think that one was it, but yes. In several other ways, Jesus does the things that only God could do. You know, only God could forgive sins, only God could read minds, only God could heal paralyzed people. So he clearly has shown that he has special God-given prerogatives that that no one else has. That's John. Why are the scribes there? They're everywhere. They <laughs> are, <laughs> and uh, I think that's a very good question. Uh, we'll see. We'll see various uh, people, and sometimes even coming a distance. I wonder why they were there.
2: Every time he does this, they're right <laughs> there to contradict.
0: I think that's their purpose. There are people in the crowd almost planted, I think, to try to discredit Jesus, to try to get something on Jesus. They are the religious leaders. This upstart has not got a license from them, and I think they want to. I think they want to find things on it. There's a passage in, uh, in fact, it's the same passage. Okay, it's the it's a parallel. Luke 5:17. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So they, they rounded up the troops from all over the place to come and <laughs> scrutinize. And, uh, I mean, um, I, surely this is the case. I don't know. But I'm assuming that there are Hillary supporters at all of Obama's rallies and Obama people at Hillary's rallies, don't you suppose? Why? Trying to find something on them, trying to figure out what they're saying and get the chump on, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, that's what you do. You you plant some people in the... I mean, it's almost like having spies there, you know, and, uh, and in this case, they're vo- vo- vocal spies, you know, they're trying not only to maybe report back, but they're trying to find ways to discredit Jesus right on the spot. They'd like to turn the crowd against him. Now, we've already hit upon what I think is the theme of this section. And that is criticisms of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus is becoming popular, and all of a sudden, you've got various criticisms leveled at him. How do you deal with criticism? Yes, often defensive. How do you deal with unjust criticism? Your actions? Yeah, but I'm saying how, how, how would you normally deal with unjust criticism?
2: Just beat the guy
0: up, I guess. Often it upsets us under makes us angry. <laughs> discouraged. Discouraged. Sometimes unnerved and intimidated depending on who it is and what they're saying. The thing that really impresses me in this whole section is Jesus is totally composed. His responses are brilliant. They, what he will say in these situations not only answers the criticisms, but in almost every case shows very profound spiritual truths here that Jesus' physical healings were a sign of what he could do spiritually. That's a pretty deep and important thought that comes in response to their accusation against him. And I think we're going to see that in the next several stories as well. Jesus doesn't just say something to escape what their criticism was but he actually says things that are very deep and serious teachings that are really helpful to us. Other comments and questions?
1: Is there already opposition to Jesus at this point? Yes. I mean, from from this account, is it is it obvious and I dismissed it or
0: this is the first opposition we've seen okay. yes
1: because, because I was wondering <clears throat> the scribes there's this person who's you know claiming to teach so they come to see if what well, he you know in a sense of testing him like they should I am maybe trying to give him the much well, credit I've been doing that all day so
0: well <laughs> yeah I mean I think they would want to investigate but obviously they're pretty negative um, when you say already, I, I think probably there wa- was enmity against Jesus very early on, but you don't really know that from studying Mark. This is just, this is our, he's moving on from Jesus' authority now to show Jesus in the light of these criticisms <laughs> and challenges. Not that these things are necessarily in chronological order. I think these are more in topical, logical order. We're dealing with, we're really being able to see some things about Jesus from a different perspective now. You look at Jesus in the light of how he handles criticism. You know, what are what's the opposition saying? And how does Jesus deal with it? And so I think that's kind of almost the theme and topic here. Now, there's a lot we learn from that, but it seems to me like that's kind of Mark's organizing principle right here. Right? Well,
2: Eden, they even came to John to be baptized, and he... You let have it. For men. Yeah. Not that they were necessar- necessarily opposed or being contrary at the time. But, I agree. But it was obvious from John's response what he was expecting almost how they were. In other words, you're coming here, but you're not going to accept the, the one that follows.
0: Yeah, John had no respect for him. You know, he said, you're a bunch of snakes. You know, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, you're unlikely disciples. So, the, the religious hierarchy was corrupt, prideful, self-righteous, you know, very eager for their own followers, their own, you know, enlargement. Um, the religious leadership in Jesus' day, for the most part, was not spiritual. I often wonder if they if they
2: took, partook of any of the uh, benefits. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. You know. Yeah.
2: Did they, you know, you know, well, they see it, but they're supposed to be against it. But you know, I get this little ache in my.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Or, or were there any of them there when he fed the five thousand? Did yeah. they eat the bread? Well, it's a little salty, or you know, <laughs> what are they looking for? Ah,
0: uh, it's a good question. I don't have a okay. great answer. I but I wouldn't be surprised. There's an
2: answer, but yeah. But I if, be they're everywhere else, it seems like they would have followed him there too.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, good point.
2: Because even, even in these situations, or some of them that we'll read, it's like, well, we can't deny that a miracle took place, but we're going to have to come up with some other story about it. Correct. So, so it's entirely possible that... You know even even then it's like well you know they ate some of the bread too
0: and they don't know where it came from but'll come up with some story yes yeah I, I, that makes sense to me definitely
4: I would love to be able to deal with unjust criticism like this just do a miracle and that' shut them up <laughs> so I gotta deal with it I just love to be able to shut them up with a miracle It'd be easier
0: it would be but as it turns out um, the next three, there's no miracle.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Jesus can handle it without a miracle, too. <laughs> I really you. out. And really, yeah. It's not only the miracle, but what he says here that's impressive. And that didn't, that
2: didn't do any good. I mean, that didn't, what? Didn't change their minds It didn't do away with it.
0: It amazed the common people, but you're right; the leaders are still skeptical, as we see throughout this account. Other comments? So
5: they were just talking like to themselves, right? So like the rest of the people didn't even hear it, did they? Until Jesus that.
0: I don't think they were even talking. I think they were just thinking.
5: Okay, so <coughs> like. I don't know, so the people didn't even know about it until Jesus
0: said something. I think that's correct. Look look at what it says. You know, in in verse 6, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. And in 8, immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? So I think they're just thinking this. Okay,
5: so it's kind of interesting to me that he even jesus even mentioned it like in some ways i would think it'd be easier just not to worry about that
0: and I don't perhaps but i think jesus wanted to mention it i think this this right. bit right with his program <laughs> he wants to show the evidence for forgiveness and connect the dots for them and help them to realize <coughs> that his healing the paralysis shows he has the ability to forgive the <laughs> sins I think Jesus intentionally brought it to light. Good point.
2: And none of them would have to openly admit that they were the one that was reasoning in
0: heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But they knew in their heart that they were reasoning in right. their heart.
2: They knew they'd been caught, but they wouldn't tell
0: anyone else. It's bad to deal with somebody who knows everything, isn't it?
3: <laughs>
0: it's it really hard to outsmart him
3: doubt my motives would have been as pure as Jesus' motives you know there probably would have been some pride or you know one upmanship or something like that but uh, I, I don't have any reason to believe that's true with him yeah he's wanting to point out their error and, and where they need to change but I think ultimately is he not desiring that they would yield to him yeah,
0: they and he's teaching the crowd as well But yeah, uh, you don't see Jesus seeming defensive or competitive. He seems very calm and very measured in what he does. And if anybody would listen to him, it would really help them.
2: What if Jesus would have said, pick up your pallet and go, and didn't forgive his sins, what would have happened?
0: well obviously there are a number of times when Jesus did heal people without specifically forgiving them I don't know what reaction that would have gotten Uh, generally speaking the the enemies don't they don't have a whole lot to say about the healings in themselves because there wasn't really much they could say
2: (laughs) I mean he would have still been crippled would he have been able to get up and carry it out well, I mean, if Jesus because said, wasn't the sins being forgiven healed him
0: so he wasn't a cripple no I don't think so I think those are two different operations oh you think so Yeah. Mm-hmm. the forgiveness of the sins are just the things he did wrong against God and so God for, <coughs> forgave those to where they weren't held against him any longer but his being physically crippled is a, is a different matter I mean somebody today could be crippled and forgiven would they have been healed then? Well, it depends on the sense in which we mean the healing, obviously, because the Bible uses healing both for physical healing and spiritual healing. So physically, you know, you can be healed of your physical ailment, or you can be forgiven of your sins, which would be a spiritual healing. In this case, Jesus heals him spiritually, and then shows that he has the ability to do that by healing him physically. So you've really got both both halves of that good question
2: there was the episode where they asked Jesus about the crippled man who had sinned was it a blind blind man Uh, man? him or his father and it wasn't because of sin that he was blind
0: that is correct Um, there are times when sin can cause physical injury or problems we even know that you know drive drunk, and that may be the reason you, you know, get whatever. Or, uh, and there are some times when there seems to be some connections drawn in the Bible between somebody's sin and their sickness. I think of a lot of examples of that. You know, uh, Gehazi becoming a leper, you know, and just all kinds of them. And, uh, but, but it, but we can't just necessarily assume that. You know, it, I mean, think about Job. You know, what caused all of Job's sowers? What, what sin did he committed? Well, it wasn't a sin he <coughs> cause that caused uh, that. So. Okay. i
5: it over.
0: Other questions and comments? sir? I
1: was thinking kind of about Mom's question. This point you know they were expecting healings I, I would think yes. and so it kind of would have been I don't want to say it was old hat but if he had just healed someone it would not have they would have been oh yeah here's another healing and it wouldn't have stopped them and made them think so I mean that may have been
0: Jesus is showing them more about himself he is doing something they wouldn't have expected And something that they need to deal with. Jesus can forgive sins. He proved it by healing the man of his paralysis. Now what are you going to do with that? I mean, they are forced to realize Jesus is not just some good moral man or some, you know, whatever. I mean, he's he's showing that he is God, really. So I think he is trying to draw their attention to that. We're in the first 12 verses of Mark 2. And what we just saw was that Jesus was in a house with a huge crowd. People even crowded around the door. There's four guys that come along bringing their buddy in a stretcher because he was paralyzed. They can't get into the house, so they go up on the roof, take, dig a hole in the roof, let the guy down through the roof in front of Jesus, and Jesus forgives his sins, and then his enemies are there thinking, "Forgave his sins? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, I'll prove that I can forgive sins, and he told the man to get up and carry a stretcher and go home. And so by healing what they could see, the paralysis, Jesus proved his ability to heal what they could not see. And that's basically the story. Other comments and questions on that? It's it?
4: It's kind of interesting see of wisdom and the order he does things. Because, uh, you can see in other places, he always teaches first, then proves he has the authority to teach. It's the same thing here. He was preaching to them before they came. He came you the settings, and then proves he has the authority to do those things.
0: Yes, you see purpose behind what Jesus is doing, and it's always a teaching kind of a purpose. He doesn't do these things just to be a stuntman. He does them to prove things and show things and teach things. It's a very good point. Other thoughts? Along those
4: lines in verse 12, it talks about the result of the crowd. Was that they glorify God. it's interesting that love chooses that tree cord as opposed to the people saw that the scraps were wrong or that Jesus was right but that they glorify God because of this
0: good thing to do when God does these miraculous things, marvelous things is to glorify him good point other thoughts? All right, look at the next section and the criticism Jesus receives here, 13 to 17. And he went out again by the
2: seashore, and all the multitude were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. He said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with the tax gatherers and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners.
0: So Jesus calls another man to follow him. Who was this? Levi. Levi. What do you know about Levi. Is a tax collector. What do you know about tax collectors? Everybody hates them. Do you? I, I don't. I don't think in the Mark study yet. We've talked about tax collecting. Um, do you know what kind of taxes were being collected? Okay. No. <laughs> All
1: kinds.
0: No. Bowman taxes. Yes, but I'm talking about what type—property tax, tax, sales tax, income tax, etc. Oh, yeah. Like a, a census tax?
2: Well, that was—that uh, was the tax for living, <laughs> being
0: alive. <laughs> From what we know, the tax was like a tariff on goods being transported down the highway, basically. And so the tax collectors would station themselves on important um, routes. And as people came through, if they were carrying goods, then those goods would be taxed. So it's basically a, a tariff on the goods being transported. Now, they were collecting the taxes for the Roman Empire. That's who was in charge of this territory. And as I understand it, the Romans had developed a really cruel way to collect the taxes. This is my understanding, is that they essentially would take a territory and let out bids for the right to collect the taxes in that territory. The high bidder paid that to Rome, and gets to collect the taxes. And his profit is however much more he collects than what he had to give for the right to collect those taxes. Isn't that a cool system? And then the chief tax collector, you know, maybe he's gotten a high bid for a particular region, he would subdivide his region and do the very same thing. He let out bids, essentially auction off the right to collect taxes on this highway or that highway to whoever would pay him the most, and so forth. So, what if, if you were a tax collector, what would your motivation be? What would you be trying to do? possible over the amount that you had to pay. Yes, because it's yours. That's your, that's your... Uh, profit. M- profit margin. <laughs> Is however much more you manage to get than what you had to pay for the right to get it. So, if you could swindle more money out of anybody, that's just more money in your pocket. And that caused them to be generally thought of as low life. I mean, IRS agents aren't exactly popular here. But I guess, theoretically, their salary is not based upon, you know, how much they manage to collect. Uh, so, you know, and they're not collecting it for, you know, Baghdad or, you know, Moscow or something like that. You know, they're at least they're collecting it for the American government. So here are traders who sold out to collect unfair and, um, dishonest taxes often for the Roman Empire so what's it going to be like when Jesus makes one of these ex-tax collectors one of his inner circle how's that going to affect his popularity it's not likely to cause him to rise 10 points in the poll I don't think so the only thing people might make him popular with are you know, other tax collectors I don't know Um You know, Jesus is not concerned about popularity, and he chooses people to follow him based upon their willingness to follow, not based upon who he thinks will be the most charming and charismatic to attract the most people. Uh, If Jesus had been worried about that, he surely would have chosen different men than what he did. Now, Levi, what's his first official act as Jesus' (laughs) disciple? He followed and to him dinner, dinner. Not exactly, but close. Had him over.
4: For
0: dinner. Yeah, had him over for dinner. And who else did he have? Tax collectors. His old buddies, <laughs> tax collectors and sinners. And so here's Jesus going to to this new disciple Levi's house for a big reception, eating dinner. With tax collectors and sinners. And of course we've got the scribes and the Pharisees there. And what are they saying to Jesus' disciples?
1: Why is he eating and drinking
0: with these people? Yes. What's he doing socializing with low life like this? He really scandalized the religious establishment. You, they wouldn't have, you know, eaten dinner with these kind of people. How does Jesus answer that? Physician doesn't go to the to the ones already healed. Yes. What would you think? You call up your doctor on the phone and said, "Doctor, I need to get an appointment with you." I realize now I'd be the receptionist, but let's just pretend the doctor answered the phone. <laughs> and uh, the doctor said, well, are you sick? And you say, well, yeah, that's why I need the appointment. He said, well, I'm sorry, I don't see sick people. What would you think about a doctor like that? <laughs> well, what could's a doctor who won't see the people who need him anyhow? I mean that's kind of pointless. I know they want all these you know, well checkups and so forth but for the most part you want to see a doctor when you need him. And Jesus is saying well who was I sent here to help? Who? Uh-huh. Sinners. He didn't come for the righteous people. They came for the sick ones. The ones who were sinners and lost. Now how is Jesus going to be able to help them if he doesn't have any contact with them? Jesus, this wasn't an accident that he was eating with the tax collectors and sinners. He purposed to do that because he was calling these people to repentance. They're the ones who needed it. They're the ones who needed salvation. That's a great answer. That's a really good answer. Isn't that amazing? And it's a lesson for us not to be too good to reach out to the people who need help. I remember many years ago, many, many years ago now, a lady who worked in a factory. She was a fine, zealous Christian lady. And she told me about this guy at work who'd been asking her religious and Bible questions. She said, he's the worst guy at work. foul mouth, negative drugs and alcohol, not even living with his wife, just a real scoundrel. He'd been asking her Bible questions. She said, what should I do? I said, well, why don't you see if he'd study the Bible? (laughs) You know? She said, well, I don't think he'd be interested. I said, well, you never know. And sure enough, sometime after that, he was baptized. And uh, he did not stay faithful uh, the rest of his life unless he's come back to the Lord. But he did for a while. And actually, Willie made some radical changes in his life. You know, the thing about him is, he knew he needed, in fact, about two or three days after, maybe three or four days after he was baptized, he he was talking to me and he said, he said, Gary, I don't know what's happening to me. He said, he said, I don't know if the devil's attacking me or what, but like, you know, I'm just, I'm going through all these things. I'm seeing all these things and, you know, I don't remember what all going through all kinds of, you know, physical sweats and I, just different things. I don't remember what all they were now. And he said, I, is that, is that the devil? What's going on with me? I'm like, well, man, uh, you might be asking you a couple questions. I said, uh, you know, when's the last time you, you did any drugs? Well, like right before he was baptized, you know, a day or so before. I said, well, I really think you're probably having some withdrawal symptoms. I said, what all have you done? Well, he'd pretty much done everything. And I said, uh, you know, I made some phone calls, and I said, you know, give it about three weeks, and I think you'll probably be feeling better. And he was. But, you know, he's a guy who knew he was lost. He knew he needed salvation. <clears throat> Sometimes it's easier to reach those people. You know, I haven't done a lot of this recently. I don't have really a lot of time for this. But I've done a bunch of knocking on doors to set up Bible studies. You know where I'd like to go to knock on doors? Some of you know where I'd go to knock on doors. Give me the most run-down trailer park around here. And that's where I want to go to knock on doors. You know what they're going to do when I knock on doors there? They're going to say, come on in! And I'm going to go in, and they're going to sit and talk to me. You know the kind of guy that I'd like to come to the door? I'd like some big burly rascal that's got tattoos all over him and and, and kind of long-haired and scraggly looking. Because you know he'll treat me better. If I get somebody to the door that's got a three-piece suit on, you know what they're going to do? I, I mean I just have this experience over and over again they're going to go like that Look, <coughs> slam the door now I'm not saying we shouldn't teach guys in three-piece suits we ought to try to teach, teach <laughs> everybody but I'm saying that the people who are the most receptive usually are not the respectable people who think they're doing fine it's the people who know they need help and, and, and in my in my experience I'm treated a whole lot better by people who, you know, obviously need help than I am by the people who seem like, you know, good, upstanding citizens. So Jesus found a receptive audience. Tax collectors and sinners. And he wasn't too good to eat with them. Now, we know he wasn't saying to them, well, just keep on cheating. We know he called them to repentance. And he called them to follow him in his way. And we see evidence of changes people like that made. There's another tax collector Jesus called in Luke chapter 19 who immediately promises to give back everything he cheated people out out of and give them half his money to the poor and all that, Zacchaeus. And uh, so Jesus had a good influence on those guys. Comments and questions, I probably talked too long about that. Things you want to say about this whole section?
2: Why did the uh, scribes and Pharisees care?
0: Well, for two reasons, I think. One is, I think they wanted to find anything they could criticize Jesus about to discredit him. To show how, you know, he's really not as good as he seems to be. And I think they were horrified. I mean, I think they wouldn't have eaten with people like this. You know, this is just, wow, what are you doing doing that? Why would you why would you talk to somebody like that I think they are self-righteous and to them this is you know really um, it's almost immoral for them to see somebody willing to socialize with people like this could they
1: also have been Because they went to his disciples instead of straight to him, could they also have been saying, "You're following a guy who does this (laughs) and trying to pull them away"?
0: That is interesting, isn't it? They didn't go to Jesus; they go to the disciples and say that. That's a good point. Other thoughts. I think
4: verse seventeen. Uh, is is to me, it's like a coin with two sides. You know, it, he, he's making a point about the physician, but he's also making a point about the patient. Yes. You know, he's saying, you know, a physician doesn't heal healthy people; he heals sick people. You know, that that makes sense. And a Pharisee hearing that, or a scribe hearing that, says, "Okay, I'm healthy. I don't need a physician." The other side of the coin is nobody. You know. Nobody who thinks that they're healthy is going to go to the doctor. You have to recognize that you're sick, and in the context of, of the, the doctor-patient metaphor that Jesus uses, all are sick and all need the help of the physician. And so, you know, it's it's the people like Levi, you know, the people who are, are who recognize when they're confronted with it you know what I've got problems going on in my life who are going to be willing to to show up to the (coughs) doctor
0: would you go to the doctor if you had cancer you're saying yes but think again you might do you know there's a lot of people who don't go to the doctor who have cancer, you might have cancer right now. See, when do we go to the doctor? When we, when we know. When something starts happening in our body that we wonder about. But there are people who have cancer who have no symptoms. They, they, they need to go to the doctor, but they're not aware of it. And they don't go. When do we come to Jesus? When we're sinners, well, the truth is everybody is, but some people don't know it. We come to Jesus when we know we're sinners. Think about: it. Does Jesus is Jesus going to heal us because we're so righteous? He heals the sick. <coughs> They're the people who humble themselves and come to Jesus. Which side do we see ourselves on? Mm-hmm. Comments and questions.
2: He also points out that he is the physician. He is. By saying, you know, he makes that statement, which they could agree with. You know, if a physician doesn't, you know, those that are healthy don't need a physician, they're like, okay, what's they got to do with you? And then he turns around and says, well, I didn't come to call the righteous but the sinners. And I wonder if he isn't also indicting them in the same thing. Uh, you know, anyone that's concerned about doing what God says should be concerned about the sinners, not like you guys and shunning the sinners.
0: Good point. Yeah, good point. Other comments or questions?
5: I guess I kind of find myself in situations like this, maybe at school or something, and I want to handle it the way Jesus did. Like, I'm sure he wasn't just sitting there being quiet and I mean obviously not being with them to conform to them I mean I guess I'm trying to figure out how to apply this because in those situations it's really hard to talk about God or I don't know speak up
0: good question Um, maybe sometimes we need to do things that are hard Um, we need to reach out and try to teach people who need it even though we might think they're unworthy certainly we should not allow wicked people to influence us we ought to be the ones influencing them but we need to go to them and seek to teach them I don't know. Somebody got better answers than that.
1: Other comment. See, we're scared to do it too.
3: Well, is this this too much different than uh, cultivating relationships even among Christians to, to be able to help each other out based upon having a relationship so that you have that opportunity to teach when it's necessary and and in this situation Jesus is establishing a relationship you know some sort of commonality to give him the opportunity to teach Uh,
0: I mean he's got to be in contact with somebody before he can teach them I don't know that Jesus necessarily viewed it as uh, necessary to to be close friends before you could teach somebody but you got to be able to be there you know and you've got to be willing to have some kind of contact with them and Jesus walked <coughs> well look at the next section this is my favorite uh, in this chapter I don't know if we can get through all of this but uh, if, if we can get started and think about it a while eighteen to twenty two.
4: John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it the new from the old, and a worse terror results. No one puts new wine in the old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine in the fresh wineskins. The
0: question Jesus is uh, asked? Why don't your
1: disciples fast?
0: Yes, like the other religious people <laughs> did, the Pharisees, John's disciples. Fasting means what? Your Yes, and in this case for religious purposes, for an act of devotion to God. We know the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. We don't know how often John's disciples fasted. But Jesus' disciples weren't, and again, that sort of makes them not look very religious. So, this is the criticism. Now, Jesus answers this criticism with three mini-parables, three mini-stories. First of all, um, do you fast at a wedding? What do you do? What do you do? Feast. Yeah, you feast. Why? Celebration. Yeah! It's a joyous celebration, it's a time to make merry and eat. it just wouldn't be appropriate to fast at a wedding. Now Jesus is the bridegroom. This is a wedding celebration, sort of a time. Jesus is saying that fasting does not fit with this circumstance, um, and, and, and fasting, you know, is only meaningful when it fits the situation, not when you're just fasting to fit some kind of a rule. You know, it's Monday again. I gotta fast. No, it's uh, this is this this is clearly a time of joy when the bridegroom is there, when the wedding is 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 upon them, and so from that standpoint, Jesus is saying fasting doesn't fit this situation, this context. Comment or question about that one? Adversity. yeah, through twenty. <clears throat>
3: I've got a question. What is... Who is this day? Verse 16, when they came and said to him, who is the... Yes.
0: That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Probably the Pharisees and scribes. That's whoever... Uh, most of the other questions have been asked by. But. I
3: thought it was kind of weird that if this is the Pharisees, they're referring to themselves. Like when they say... How come the disciples of John and the Pharisees, one well, day, say, Why don't you fast like us? <laughs> yeah. I thought
0: it was kind of weird. It's been a good observation. I'll have a good answer.
4: It be like other people trying to like, see why they are here.
0: Could be. The next two illustrations are more challenging. And really powerful. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. This depends on what we in my generation experienced. You guys don't understand about all this. But in my generation, when you bought a a pair of jeans, they didn't come with holes in them already? <laughs> they didn't come pre holed <clears throat> And they did not come pre-shrunk. Like fabric tends to today. So you bought the jeans a little bigger than what you were. Because the first three or four times you washed them and dried them, they shrunk. So that's, is that is that totally new concept for you guys? Does that happen some with things today? A little bit? With cotton with cotton okay. Yeah. So you have a little bit of experience with that. But I mean typically we have so many fabrics today that they don't shrink. But everything shrank when I was a boy and so you did. You had to think about that. Well how much is going to shrink? You buy it corresponding to how much you expected it to shrink up in those first three or four washings <laughs> and dryings. And uh, so you've got an old pair of jeans with a big hole in the knee. You get a new piece of denim and sew it onto the hole. And then you wash and dry the jeans two or three times. What's going to happen with that new denim? It's going to shrink, but the rest of the garment won't. So it's going to pull away and tear it. It's going to be as bad or worse than it was to begin with. You, put, you don't put a new patch on an old pair of jeans. Now, in a minute, I'll explain what that all means. But he uses a second illustration similar that we also don't know much about. That is putting new wine into old wine skins. Now, new wine would be grape juice. They would put grape juice into an animal skin and cover it and let it set and ferment to make wine. Now do you know what happens to grape juice as it ferments? It bubbles. It bubbles and gives off a gas. And therefore it essentially expands. That's why you put an animal skin. Because what will an animal skin do? It'll stretch. It's got some elasticity in it. Some give, we say. So a good choice to put it in. But what happens if you put your grape juice in an old, used (coughs) wine skin that's already been stretched? Then the grape juice starts making wine and starts expanding and what happens? It'll bust. And the skin will be ruined and the wine will be lost as well. So put new wine in new wine skins. Now, Why was Jesus teaching us how to patch up our genes and how to make wine? (laughs) Well, I think it has something to do with the fasting. And here's what I think Jesus is saying. (laughs) Jesus came bringing a whole new gospel. And he did not come just to patch up Judaism, he came bringing a whole new system. So you shouldn't expect Jesus to follow the old forms and framework and traditions of Judaism. He didn't come to be just a patch on their garment. He came to bring a whole new garment. He didn't come for you to pour a little bit of him into your old traditional forms and (laughs) lifestyle. He came to make whole new people out of them. The fasting was a part of their old traditions. And they assumed Jesus was going to follow those traditions, that he'd be subject to them too. He said, "You you don't understand what I'm here for. I'm not here for, uh, you know, just kind of to patch things up in your old system or life. Or just to be kind of an additive to make it run better. I'm here to start all over again. So don't expect I'll be doing the things the same way we did before. I don't, I don't observe the fasting rules you have. I don't follow those traditions. I'm not into the old forms and framework. Does that make some sense? Now, I want you to think about an application of that because I want to get this one in even if we have to talk about some of this next week. I remember knocking on the door of a couple and uh, they let me start studying the Bible with them. And I remember before I started that the husband said, Listen, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not looking for anything that's going to be radically changing our lives or anything like that. I just think a little religion would probably do us some good as a family. Well, that wasn't what Jesus was preaching. And thankfully, that guy got more than he bargained for. And uh, decided that it was worth making a whole new change of, of lifestyle. But so many people, they don't want to change their life. They just want Jesus to fix something. You know, I got a little problem here. Can I get a little Jesus to kind of smooth it over? That isn't what he's here for. If we're not ready for a whole new garment, we're not ready for Jesus. He's not here to patch things up on our old life. He's not here to just be poured into the old pattern you've established. You've got to start with a whole new wineskin. And that is what Jesus is all about. They missed it. Fasting had, Their fasting traditions had nothing to do with it. He's coming with a whole new approach whole new way of life. Comments and questions?
1: Just a little additive to the wineskin background. One of the things that you had to do was you had to fill the skin completely. So you couldn't take a you couldn't take an old skin that had been stretched and fill it halfway because then the grape juice would just spoil. It wouldn't ferment. So, because you had the air, so you had to fill it up all the way. Because otherwise you'd go, well, why don't you just put part of it in, and then it would work. But
3: it had not work that way.
0: Thank you. It's helpful.
3: <coughs> I've got a question. Why were the disciples of John fasting? Was this something commanded, or were they just doing it to show that they were really religious?
0: It wasn't commanded, other than fast on the day of atonement as far as I know but God allowed them to fast at various times and so I guess they were just fasting as a means of devotion to God
3: Makes me think of Jeremiah 31 where he talks about the fact that days are coming when uh, God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not like the covenant that he made with their fathers you look at a lot of those elements that he talks about and you think, well, it looks a whole lot like the Old Covenant. But yet he is—he makes it clear it's not like the Old Covenant. And so, what you've shared kind of, well, it fits the, the, the flavor of what's being said back in Jeremiah.
0: Good point. Excellent passage to compare. Other comments and questions?
5: I think that, like, because of this, people got the wrong perspective, and they probably like, decide, hey, we can make our own church So they making making different churches, and they just keep preaching that to other people, and that's why there's so many different churches today.
0: What we need is what Jesus teaches and not what man teaches, whatever his form or, or wrinkle is, that's exactly right, and... You know, we've got what the Lord has for us. That's what we need. Other thoughts? All right, then this is a good place to stop. And uh, we'll just pick up in 23, uh, probably next week, unless I let you know otherwise. Hey, Gary. We've got an object. uh,